0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of LavaCon, where we gather and share expert insights on security program management delivered with, by, and for the most respected security leaders around the world. Together, we'll explore solutions to the most pressing business challenges unique to the careers of CISOs and cybersecurity executives. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Here we are, we are having a conversation in the Blue Lava community and this is Sean Martin. You're very welcome to join us today for this conversation. I'm thrilled to introduce a guest, Jasper Austinchuk. He's the SVP and CISO for Nielsen IQ. Jasper, thanks for joining. Hey Sean, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here today. This is uh, this is a cool thing. The, the, the community by the CISOs, for the CISOs, you're a CISO, paying it forward to to the community. And the topic we're going to dig into today is all about crisis management and, uh, we have limited times so we're, we're going to get wide and deep where we need to. Uh, you have some specific things that, uh, that you're dealing with that I think are important in the moment, but also, uh, set the stage for a, a broader preparedness for your, your CISO peers as they deal with crises and, uh, before we get into that, though, Jasper, uh, maybe a few words about yourself, uh, your, your journey to your current role, and maybe a few words about what you do in, in your current role, just so folks have a, a sense of who Jasper is and, and why this is important for you. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: you know, as Sean mentioned, I'm the CISO of Nielsen IQ. Uh, we're a large global firm. Uh, we do business in over 100 com- countries. Uh, and I've been here about a year now. Um, I came from uh, uh, TransUnion where I was the CISO for six and a half years. And, and before that, I had a number of CISO roles uh, at a large global bank. Um, you know, been operating in a global basis for many years. We built a, a global program at TransUnion and, and we're on the journey now to build a global program uh, at Nielsen IQ, which itself is uh, just over a year old uh, as a company.
1: Nice, and so the, the the global is important, and we'll we'll get into why that is. Um, but I think this this topic doesn't have to have a global nature to it or a global context to it to be uh, to be relevant for folks. Um, the size of your world <laughs> as an organization uh, may change. May may be operating in 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 Europe and Asia and, and the Americas. Or you might just be in in uh, one state, but your world is your world and and at some point you'll face a crisis so maybe maybe if you can Jasper, just to give us a sense of what crisis management means for you what uh, is it physical crisis digital crisis kind of where do, where does your role sit in in that uh, kind yeah. of set, set the scope for this yeah i I do like how you touched on uh
2: you know, maybe the global nature or the local nature doesn't uh, maybe is not the most important point. You know, what I would suggest is the most important point from a crisis perspective is it's generally something that happens that's unusual. Uh, something that generally is not favorable for your organization or your business uh, and forces, you know, you as a company to operate uh, in a way that's not standard that's not typical um, it could be a cyber event it could be uh, you know a physical event uh, it could be uh, you know a worldwide pandemic uh, any number of things um, that force your business to think and operate in a new way is is really what i'm thinking of in terms of a crisis
1: and it, it, if i may as i and i'm not uh, not a cso um i, I value the work that you do, I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> um, it for me, the, the crisis is something that falls out. So I don't know, maybe you can help, help clarify this, but organizations may have a business continuity plan, may have a disaster recovery plan. And that's kind of preparing for the things you might expect and trying to control that. And to me, a crisis is where Oh crap! <laughs> something something fell out of that norm. Uh, that is not normal either. Um, to a point where we, we don't know what to do necessarily. So I don't know any any thoughts on that in particular, and and maybe what prompted you to want to have this conversation as as part of the community. Yeah, I I think
2: you know Sean, you mentioned a couple things that are elements of crisis management, and I, I generally think. In terms of crisis, at you know at the umbrella level, uh, and so overarching um, all of all of the things you mentioned—business continuity and disaster recovery—you sit at the higher level as crisis. And and you know, I generally think in terms of more impactful to the organization and, and more stakeholders uh, either being impacted or engaged or or, or need to be engaged to manage through the crisis. And your disaster recovery plan may be a uh, part of it. Your, your preparation for business continuity may be part of it. And um, you know, sitting at the highest level though is, is a crisis and it, it should be a process that scales up and down. And so your disaster recovery plan may be as small as I had a server failure in the data center today, and I have a process to quickly recover that server through my disaster recovery plan or my high availability architecture. But it doesn't rise to the level of crisis. I don't need to engage, you know, business leaders potentially or, or other leadership in the organization or, you know, probably not the board, depending on the nature of the failure. But as those things maybe cascade and, and you look at how it unfolds or how any event unfolds. You know, I think you need to be prepared to make decisions about what is the scale of this event up and down and what's my response level, what's my communication
1: requirement, who needs to be engaged as a stakeholder. And so this conversation is about uh, what the board needs to know about crisis management. Um, Suffice, I guess, to say that the board isn't putting that. Crisis management plan together. They're they're an interested stakeholder uh, that want to make sure that that's in place. How how does how do you as a CISO prepare that plan, the crisis management plan? Who else is involved? I don't, do you do you own it? Is there a is it the risk management team own it? Who who owns the plan? Your role within that, and how do you begin to prepare that in a way where. A board understands something has risen to a level that that's uh, pretty significant. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, th- I think, um, and at Nielsen IQ, I do own the the crisis management plan, but I don't own it alone. Uh, there are a number of stakeholders uh, that need to be involved, and I think um, you know more of my role in ownership is facilitation. And um, and, if you, and if you think in terms of facilitation, it's all about who are the stakeholders that I need to engage. So recognizing I'm not the subject matter expert in any of the domains or, or in most of the domains, many of them sit outside of typical sort of security, whether cyber or physical security, including customer communications or media communications. Uh, you know, it starts from understanding you know, what are the scenarios that may impact, you know, my company? And, you know, what's the business value of the assets that we have at risk? And what are different ways that that risks can manifest? And do we have adequate planning and the proper stakeholders engaged to do it? And, you know, part of, you know, part of what comes to mind for me in this is, uh, you know, I can react to a crisis at the time it happens and and maybe, you know, work my way through it, uh, you know, with smart people and hard work and, uh, or I can do some planning in advance. And in that planning, I can talk about what are the assets I have, the products and services that I offer in the marketplace, the expectations that customers have, maybe the expectations that the general public has of the product or service that your company provides. And understanding the risks, and then you can create scenarios. And from those scenarios, you can then begin to understand who are the impacted individuals, who are the key stakeholders, who are the key decision makers. And this is where the board of directors comes in play. And as a leadership team, you have to sort of understand what's the decision making that's within the scope at each level of a crisis. So, to the example we gave before, if a if a server fails, uh, that may not rise to the level of of, you know, key decision makers that may be regular sort of BAU day-to-day work. But if that server fails as a result, you know, of a ransomware attack, for example, and, you know, with one server failure, you may not alert, but if you see a cascading event of, you know, continual and additional servers failing, you, you need to set some thresholds in terms of your communication plan and in terms of how you would engage and, and I think the key element that you lay out to m- both management and the board when you go into a process like this is, you know, I need to practice, I need to rehearse, I need to you know, speculate, and, and I need to plan ahead because, you know, when a crisis like this strikes, if it's large enough, you don't want to have to figure out things on the fly. You don't want to you know, guess who you need to call and find out they're on vacation and, you know, uncertain about who their secondary is, the key message is you you really need to plan for this. And, um, you know, if you think about it from a sports metaphor, uh, you know, a crisis, you know, you could say is like playing for the championship, but you don't go into the championship without planning, without looking at game film, without practicing, without making sure you've got the right players on the field, and, uh, you know, my view is when you play for the championship, you do all those things, you rehearse, you execute, you refine your plans and make sure you're ready for game day. Uh, crisis management, I view the exact same way as planning for, you know, big championship game.
1: And again, I, I have a limited view into how some of this works. So I'm thrilled that you're here to, to help <laughs> and your peers probably have some some insight here as well. But how, how important is the story, the, the scenarios, to help people understand what some of the forcing functions might be to create a crisis? And where does that no longer matter when, when you're actually trying to build and practice a plan to deal with a crisis? Um, who, who is p- preparing for covid right? Not many people were preparing for that, but right underneath that is supply chain took a hit. Uh, workers were no longer in the, a bunch of things happened under that. Who cares what the top driver was? Um, but things happen. So h- how do you create scenarios that say things really big and bad can happen just to set the stage, but Underneath are the things that we have to worry about as an organization that impact our ability to stay online, communicate with folks, deliver products and services, whatever it might be. How, how do you how do you bridge that gap?
2: Yeah, I, I think it um it comes down to to modularity. So you know, like any good sort of system design, if you think of your crisis management process and planning in system terms, you want to create modularity and and it really goes back to the business value of of your business processes and and you just have to look at all your assets and understand and and, and maybe you think of assets in a, in a you know in a broader sense and so clearly everyone thinks my employees are an asset and and so you want to ask what are the risks to my employees uh, you know they could be sick they could be unavailable to work they could be in a in a area where they have no power, uh, you know, no uh, network access, They could be in a war zone, you know, for example, uh, and, and you want to plan for what are the, you know, what are the downsides to that particular asset and, and create alternatives for how you would manage around that downside. And, and I think you go through that modularity on an asset by asset basis. And if you've got a good sense of that, Uh, then I think you're more prepared. And especially if you have a good sense, you planned, you put technology enablement in place, you've got playbooks, you've got communication, education, training, and rehearsal. I think then when an unanticipated scenario happens, you, you rely on that modularity to say, okay, I can assemble these parts because I've been smart enough to plan ahead. I had the foresight to break things apart, you know, in a piece by piece basis. And if my people are unavailable to work for whatever the reason might be, I know what my alternatives are already. And so if they're unavailable to work, maybe a global pandemic is is a little bit of an extreme case. But if they're unavailable to work because there's, you know, a war in their country, you should be prepared. Uh, and that might not be dissimilar from other events, you know, I have a power outage and that power outage could be the result of a natural disaster, uh, or a cyber event, or, uh, you know, you can start to see that I've got modularity. That's, that says my people are unavailable. Maybe I don't know the reason why, but I have an alternative that says I can shift this work to another part of the world. Uh, and so irrespective of the reason for the unavailability of that asset. I've got a plan. And so the assets unavailable because there's a war, I can shift the work. It's unavailable because a cyber event knocked out the power grid in that country or that uh, jurisdiction, I can shift the work. If it's a power outage because of a natural disaster happened, I can shift the work. And so you can start to see that planning you know, gives me the flexibility to understand how to react. Even for scenarios I didn't anticipate, I can break those scenarios down to their components. And I understand my plan for each component of my, you know, my value chain of of, of the assets in my
1: organization that create value for me. I love that uh, description, Jasper. And and I'm thinking of assets and you mentioned server in one, one scenario, um, your business might care about the server there might be somebody in IT that really loves that server <laughs> the business appreciates the server because it generates a lot of money but it's a server, right? You can have a redundant server, two redundant servers, you might have it in the cloud where you can spin stuff up at a moment's notice um, if it were to go offline or be ransomed or whatever the, the incident may be when we, when we talk about human assets, our employees, our partners, um, those are different, right? Th- those are people, those are human beings. And when you talk about, and w- what I'm going to drive to here is it's a crisis is all about kind of reversing back through a series of decisions that get you back to a state that you want to be in, right? I mean, not maybe the exact state, but the state that you are okay with. Based on what happens. So a bunch of things happen. You're kind of making decisions to reel yourself back up to a desired state. How important I'm getting to the plan part here. How important it is the planning and the practicing of that plan so that you don't make a decision that gets you back to that desired state or a desired state at the expense of a person. Yeah, that's right.
2: I've been you know, giving my examples in pretty simplified terms, but, um, when a crisis happens, there will be multiple parallel paths of decision-making of execution of your plan and, and you prioritize. And, um, you know, in, in all cases, uh, the people, uh, on the team, uh, in our company are going to be the number one priority in ensuring their safety and their security. But these are things that you know, again, you should spend the time as a team to talk about, you know, all of the assets and, and uh, you know, maybe it sounds uh, terrible to refer to the people as assets. Um, but if you think of all the things that create value as an asset, you make a plan for what you're gonna do in each case and then you prioritize how you're gonna spend your time and energy according to the value of, of those assets. And so clearly people are at the top. Servers, you know, would be low, Um, but really we're talking in a pretty granular level because ultimately I think you want to contextualize it all in a, in a, you know, business process. What's the contribution of these various assets to the, to the business process and, and it all needs to be risk ranked. And, and, you know, of course I'm going to focus on safety and security of my people first and foremost, before I look at um, the safety, security, uptime, resilience of my equipment. Um, but all of this, you know, in a mature planning organization should, you know, be discussed and you should understand, you know, what I'm gonna run to first. Because in a, in, a, in a serious crisis like a war, there's gonna be many things happening at once and, and many things are gonna be negatively impacted to the extent you've got that, you know, value and risk ranking understood of the various components of your business process, you can, you know, simply refer to the playbook and begin, you know, your process with the focus in order, as opposed to trying to figure it out in in a moment of, um, of, you know, pressure, Uh, it's going to be intense pressure in some cases, and uh, decision making will be challenged in any case. So it's good to have laid it out, communicated it, When times are, you know, when you have time to think about it, uh, it's good to pressure test it through, you know, rehearsal through tabletop exercises, and and it's good to engage third parties um, to bring a level of independence, uh, you know, to help you evaluate: have I thought about these things in the right order? Am I prioritizing things in the right way? Uh, Many cases, you know, these these crisis events. Uh, are one-off, are, you know, it's hard to learn from. Uh, it's hard to have had the experience. Um, and, you know, leveraging a third party who who maybe spends more time with more companies can bring perspective and value and help, you know, the organization think through the proper prioritization of, you know, people versus server is a very easy decision, um, but it gets much more nuanced. And that's why the lead time and the planning and communication is important. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I want to. Early in the discussion, can't remember the the, the term you use, but you own the crisis management, um, but you don't own it <laughs> necessarily. Right? It's it's a bunch of people, and I I hearken back to um, to my days as a program manager, where I had to look after quality assurance and the build process and the engineers and architects and 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 perhaps third-party component providers and a whole group of folks. And then there are stake, business stakeholders that have decision-making uh, power in that as well. So bringing this together, uh, you, you have a plan. Something doesn't go to plan. You have to respond to that. Um, as a program manager or matrix manager, you have f- – essentially responsibility and no power, right? So you have, to, you have to kind of get everybody on the same page, marching toward the same objective. Um, how, how similar is that uh, in your role? And, and how do you manage that um, to get people to do the right things at the right time, agree that they're doing the right things at the right time, and are focused on the outcome and not against each other? if something doesn't line up because that, that will happen at some point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That, you know, the term I use is facilitation and, uh, and, and you, you, you said something I, I, I will push back on a little bit and that is, you know, as a facilitator, you have no power. And, and um, you know, I think you, th- th- there's a lot of power in that leadership role uh you know, but it's, it's maybe not, it's not power to just tell people what to do, uh, but it's power to, you know, help people problem solve. It's power to identify challenges, to identify friction, to identify, uh, you know, obstacles, and then it's power to problem solve through those things. And, um, and, and I think, in, in a case, you know, in a facilitative role, it's not dissimilar from, you know, maybe my more day-to-day, you know, cybersecurity role where I might have strongly held opinions about security controls we should put in place, but ultimately management, uh, you know, is responsible for the risk appetite of the organization, um, you know, to, to continue to bring the board into the conversation, the board has a responsibility to, to, you know, manage on behalf of the of the shareholders of the company and make sure management is doing the right thing. And I think as a facilitator in a role like this, um, you know, those stakeholders become powerful allies in navigating challenges and navigating friction. And uh, you know, I think you know one of the strongest tools is transparent communication. Um, And, you know, highlighting, look, the plan is complete, but we're stuck on this and here's where we need help and here's how we need help. Or, you know, we can't make a decision about the priority of of one item versus another. We need management's engagement. And I think as the the leader of the crisis management function, it's a very powerful role to engage all those stakeholders and ensure that uh, it's not just my opinion or, you know, my preference. But it's an organizational decision. It's a governed decision. The term I really like to use is that we've created a well-governed plan or well-governed program, and we've got the input of the key stakeholders and decision makers to do that. So, I I, I think it's it's uh, it can be a challenging role, but um, you know I think the the open, transparent communication and really embracing that facilitative decision-making role. Uh, you can help people come to, you know, the right outcomes. Um, you can stay focused on what's important for the organization. And you treat it like, you know, management controls the risk appetite uh, and is governed by the board for that risk appetite. And it applies up and down the stack from a crisis management plan to, you know, a cybersecurity program or, uh, you know, many of the control functions. Similarly, should, you know, management really should be involved in that decision-making and, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean I have to go to the CEO and say, hey, is this okay? But we as a management team say, this is what we think is the best course of action. We want to make sure leadership, you guys understand, here's the process by which we came to this decision. Here's the people that we engaged to do it. And we want to give confidence that we've come to the right conclusions and we're, and we're ready to operate on on the basis of what the company thinks is right, not what Jasper thinks is right or what, you know, any individual thinks is right. In most cases, you know, I'm not smart enough to know to, to the point you made. Uh, and we do need to engage those, those stakeholders and decision makers, and you know, throughout the company.
1: So I know I want to get, we're kind of diving a little deep here and I'm, I, I love the conversation. I want to get up to the, the board in a second, but I'm going to stay here because the board is expecting the team, to do what they need to do to protect the organization. And, uh, and y- having a plan is good. Practicing it uh, will flesh out a number of things that you might not have thought about. And, and the first thing that comes to mind is, all right, there's a process we have to communicate, right? How are we going to do that? How are we going to track what's, what is success here? How are we going to track how far along we are to achieving success? So I'm wondering, the plan drives processes and the processes in some cases requires tools perhaps. And you may or may not have those tools. So I'm wondering how, how do you handle some of that? Do you you have to find new tools to communicate and project manage and, and keep track of, everybody who's doing their part in, in the crisis. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's, and, and, and maybe if I, uh, I'll broaden your question a little bit because, it, you know, I think it's not just tools. It's in some cases you need investment, uh, of some kind and, and that investment might be tools or that investment might be more people, uh, or that investment might be, you know, engaging third parties to assist. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll rely on the same that I just mentioned, and that's transparent communication. And so as the program comes together, you know, you may find you know gaps, you may find weaknesses, and those gaps could be, I, I don't have the right tool. Maybe I don't have all the backups I need. Maybe I don't have the ability to uh, spin up new instances in the cloud, or I don't have enough people, or I don't have access to the right sort of third party. You know, but I I think that engagement of management and the board throughout the process is important. So, not just when I'm managing a crisis, but also in the planning process, in the decision making process, in the rehearsal process. And as you go through and you say, look, here's, you know, I should have some assessment of the maturity of my program, of my plan, of my ability to recover uh, from a crisis or to manage through a crisis. I should have a sense of, you know how mature that capability is. and that, and that should be communicated with management and with um, and with the board you know when when needed. and uh, the facilitative role stays in place. I, I have to have a facilitated conversation that says, you know my crisis management program as evaluated by an independent third party, suggests it's immature. And the independent third party suggests, here are you know recommendations on how to make it more mature. And, and you have, a again, facilitated engagement about the risk appetite of the organization. Maybe that level of maturity meets the risk appetite of the organization. Um, and that, you know, I, I, you know, if I'm getting the, the direction of your question, I, I, I think that process, that engagement style, that facilitative role plays all throughout. Um, because even once you have your plan and you're happy with your plan and you start to execute the plan, Things things go wrong. Things go sideways. Things you didn't anticipate happen, and you need help to work through it. And um, you know, again, transparency and engagement of the right stakeholders and decision makers is key
1: throughout. You know, for a successful program. So, talk to me a bit about the the getting support from the executive leadership team and and perhaps even the board if it's if it's warranted in terms of. I don't know, maybe describe how, how you start to build your your crisis management plan. Is that something you do on your own to kind of get the, the core of it there? And you mentioned a third party, somebody who evaluates that. Clearly that has to be paid for. Um, and then if there uh, are recommendations, as you mentioned, budget has to come for that. So how do you work through that process um, from initial creation and design to evaluation and and actually putting it into practice. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, it depends, right? It depends on the organization and um, and and that, you know, some of the variables that go into that decision-making are, you know, what's at risk? How big is your company? Uh, what are the expectations of your customers? Uh, are you operating in a regulated environment? Do you, are you a regulated business or industry? Are there external expectations that, know, go beyond, you know, just your customers in the banking industry, the regulators have a perspective on, you know, what the resilience of financial organizations should be uh, and they conduct exams, you know, to evaluate. And so, you know, the, it, it, it depends, but it comes back to what, you know, the inputs into that depends scenario is what is the risk? um what is the business value at risk and what are your customer expectations and and you you just tell that story in a way that um resonates with business leaders and helps them get the data points they need to to make a decision and so if if you have an insufficient crisis man you know as the facilitator of the process if i think we have an insufficient program uh i'll highlight the reasons why i think it's insufficient and and this is where it's helpful to you know, try to represent it in business terms. Um, you know, if we had a crisis of this nature, here's the impact of this product or service and the subsequent impact to the customers that consume that product and service and the and the subsequent impact to revenue uh, to our company. And, you know, we can have now a, a conversation around uh, what kind of investment would protect that revenue, what kind of uh you know, change could I introduce that might reduce that negative impact, that might reduce that downtime or that outage or that unavailability of, of a product or service, and and then now we can have a, you know, a meaningful conversation with leadership about, um, you know, impact and likelihood. How likely is that risk to happen, and if it does happen, what's the impact, and, and how much would I spend, uh, you know, to avoid that? Uh, And that's not different, you know, that's not any different from how uh, I talk about security in my program. We talk about crisis in the same way. Um, And it's just a matter of understanding the system, understanding the the sources of revenue in the company, understanding how we go to market and how we engage with customers. And then, you know, starting to work through the risks uh, that might
1: manifest and and create impact to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering: Are there? So you mentioned it's very similar to your security program and how you how you approach that. Are there elements throughout the organization that can be leveraged? Data that can be leveraged, um, programs that can be leveraged, risk management, uh, security management. Um, what other parts of the organization can be tapped into? Because what I'm what I'm hoping to avoid for folks is starting from scratch and trying to recreate all of that that kind of sits underneath this so how how does that all come together for you yeah
2: uh and and you know broadly speaking in organizations uh it's helpful to understand what the external requirements are and so you know if 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 a company is subject to financial regulation uh, they should understand what the regulation suggests and the expectations are. If they're subject to uh, an industry set of ex- of expectations, like the payment card industry, uh, or or you know they have healthcare data, there's their external expectations of the regulators, and and those become requirements to the program, but. You know, other partners and in, in other data points in the organization that can, tr- can contribute to, to the program are, uh, you know, the internal audit function. Um, they'll have a they'll have a view on the risk universe in the organization. They'll have a view on uh, both uh, in, in many organizations, certainly in mature and large organizations, the audit function will have a view on financial impacts as well as on the IT impacts and the linkage there um and so they can be a good partner some organizations certainly some large organizations will have an enterprise risk function uh they can be partners in understanding how to pri- prioritize and then you know work that's been done from a disaster recovery uh perspective oftentimes is done on the basis of the priority of the systems or the priority of the of the data and that that's a useful input and, and um you know the team that manages disaster recovery is a good partner. Uh, and then to the extent that business continuity is a separate function, um, you know, business continuity may be looking at a separate set of, of events related to, you know, a snowstorm that prevents people from getting into a call center. You know, any of these kinds of functions that are looking at control more broadly uh, can contribute to the requirements, can contribute to the program and can be, you know, really good partners in, you know, getting a program off the ground or or maturing an existing program, um, you know, we've we've experienced a lot of value and success in uh, in thinking along those lines with our partners. We have an audit function here at Nelson IQ. We work closely with. Um, we have uh, you know an enterprise risk function we partner with, and clearly we've been working with uh, you know with IT and understanding high availability and disaster recovery and you know, things that we can do from that respect. So, you know, there's a lot of sources in most companies, uh, you know, that that are helpful in kickstarting a
1: program or enhancing an existing program. So I have a gazillion questions, but maybe maybe we can have another conversation uh, digging even deeper. But I want to go back to the board and, and the, the executive leadership team and your thoughts on this. The most important thing for the Leadership team to present to the board with respect to crisis management. And as an executive, what's the one thing you would want the board to be asking you as the facilitator, regardless of your role? Happening, you happen to be a CISSO, CISO here, but regardless of the role that owns it, what should they be asking the facilitator? Those two things. Yeah,
2: I, I think the board should ask, Are we resilient? Um, And, and the board, you know, at the highest level, they should understand what, what's our resilience as a company. And are we doing the right things to ensure that resilience is, you know, at the proper level? Um, and you know, there is a zillion questions in, in asking, are we resilient? It's not a yes, no response, it's certainly nuanced, but, uh you know, what I try to convey to the board and, and, you know, the, the, the I, I would say the counterpoint to that insecurity is, are we secure? Right. So are we resilient from a crisis perspective is, you know, a similar question to, are we secure also not a yes, no sort of question. Uh, but there's a way to tell, you know, to provide that answer. And, um, and there's a way to frame that dialogue and that discussion. And, And so, you know, for me, it comes back to transparent communication. Um, Here are the things we've done to prepare. Here are the stakeholders we've engaged. Here's the independent thinking that we've, you know, brought to bear to make sure that we're not uh, making bad decisions, that we're not making bad assumptions, that we're not too close to evaluating this. And, you know, the, the term I use is pressure testing. And. And uh, you should pressure test your assumptions and pressure test your plan and pressure test the work that you have in place. If I'm a board member, uh, I want to know that, um, you know, I've had a governed body of work. And that governed body of work means the right stakeholders, the right thinking, the right third parties. uh, And I've really engaged, um, you know, the resources at hand to do the right thing. Uh, if I'm a board member, I, I want to know: Are we resilient? And then I want to understand why or why not. And that's where the you know gazillion questions can follow. Uh, and and you know, no board in my experience has that kind of time. But you need to help them understand the process by which you yourself are answering that question: Are we resilient? Here's how we're going about making sure we are. Um, you know, I I think that's what I try to convey to the board in my security updates, and uh, and and owning this crisis plan is new to me here at you know, in my career, and it, it's a new responsibility I've taken on at Nielsen IQ. And I'm you know I'm engaging with the board in the same way about crisis as I have uh, about security in in my you know career to
1: date. Uh, yeah, I, I love that, Jasper, and uh, it's it's great that you're actually in the thick of it (laughs) and we're, we're touching on a lot of things here. I'm sure there's even more, uh, underneath and, uh, yeah, I suspect the community as they come together and and connect with you, uh, they'll probably have some specific questions that, uh, that might be helpful for you to, uh, to respond to. I'm going to ask you one now though, as we wrap here. So your, your fellow, CISO, CSO, uh, crisis management facilitator, what would you advise them to do? Let, let's say, let's do, let's do this twofold. No crisis management plan. Advice for your peers on how to get started. And then, yeah, something they can do maybe this week to, to maybe take some action on that. I'll do that first
2: yeah if if you're in an organization with no plan or a very immature plan uh you know maybe the first thing I would suggest is um phone a friend uh you know engage the community uh you know my 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 peers have uh throughout my career in, in security have been very helpful uh in in my peers external and my colleagues and people that I've worked with and have gone on to other places very helpful in, in, you know, helping problem solve challenges, no matter what they are. Uh, And I, I would say step one, if if you don't know where to start is, you know, maybe have a conversation with a trusted colleague about what they do or what they've seen uh, or who else they can introduce you to, to, you know, to start to help you think about it in the right way.
1: And, for an organization or or more specifically a peer who believes they have a mature crisis management plan, what should they be looking at uh, over the next few weeks sometime this month as an action?
2: Yeah, they, they should, if, if, if they're a leader in a mature program, they should look at how they can help others. Um, uh, You know, they should look at ways they can give back uh, and they should look at, you know, pressure testing. Right. I, I would say, Anybody who thinks they have a good plan, uh, you know, it might, may, it may be cliche to say now, but as Mike Tyson used to say, uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And, uh, I, you know, I think that's true in, in the crisis world as well. Um, you know, many people thought they had a plan until COVID show, showed up and, you know, nobody had ever thought about something of that scale or nature before, certainly not many people. And, um, you know, if you think you have a good plan, I, you know, I would encourage you also phone a friend and, uh, and have an open conversation or engage a third party and pressure test your program, to make sure you're not missing something. Uh, but uh, you know, if you've done all those things, you know, then the last thing I would encourage you to do is help someone else. Um, make sure your friends and colleagues and, and people you know in the community are um, you know, working and, and aspiring to similarly mature plans
1: love it and uh, the the program manager in me can't can't help but go back to one something you mentioned earlier was talking about compartments um, if you if you're only thinking about the whole, and, and the elements underneath are falling apart it's not gonna not gonna really matter so I, I think you mentioned practice so practice the the components practice the big thing uh, and uh, leverage your peers to, to do that yeah yeah um, Super cool. Well, Jasper, um, thank you so much for sharing your insight here. Uh, a lot of experience bringing this together and, uh, hopefully your peers enjoy this conversation. I'm sure like me, many of them have more questions, but hopefully some good, good thoughts to take with them in the next week or two, uh, as they build and continue to mature and get back into the community. So thanks Jasper. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Great to be here.